welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry, and social justice. So hello, readers. My name is Jessica. I'm a writer here at Madden America, and today I'm excited to be talking with Jonathan Raskin. Jonathan is a professor in the Department of Psychology at the State University of New York at New Pals, where he serves as department chair and teaches classes in psychology and counselor education. Dr. Raskin's research is focused on constructivist, meaning-based approaches in psychology and counseling. He recently authored a textbook titled Abnormal Psychology, Contrasting Perspectives. So welcome, Jonathan. I'm very excited to have you. Is there anything else you want to add for our readers before we get started? No, no, not at all. But thank you for uh, inviting me to do this. All right. I'm excited to have you. All right. So let's get started. So what made you interested in working on alternative diagnostics for use in psychotherapy? Yeah, that's a good question. I've always been interested in how people make meaning and diagnostic systems are actually the way that mental health professionals uh, make meaning of their clients' experiences. So to me, all diagnostic systems are meaningful systems for making sense of the problems that our clients come to us seeking help for. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So you take a constructivist approach. Can you break down what that means for us and how it applies to this issue of diagnosing? Sure. Uh, There are many theories, I think, that fall under the banner of constructivism, but most broadly speaking, constructivism focuses on how people, both individually and in conjunction with one another in more social kind of configurations, construct understandings of themselves and the world, and then they use those constructions to guide their lives. So to me, constructivism seems like an excellent theoretical approach to use in understanding diagnosis because each diagnostic approach can be viewed as a constructed meaning system for understanding and conceptualizing client concerns. So several alternative systems have been promoted in recent years, Mm -hmm. the PyTOP, the Power Threat Meaning Framework, RDOC, uh, CSM. What are your thoughts on these alternatives? Yeah, I mean, I think they're all interesting in their own ways. Uh, let me talk about a few of them a little bit. Um, so I'll, I'll start with high top. Uh, that's the hierarchical taxonomy of psychopathology. And it's a dimensional approach that tries to address the problem of comorbidity that afflicts DSM categories. And comorbidity is a confusing issue to people. Uh, when disorders are comorbid, they're diagnosed at the same time. And one of the problems is that a lot of the DSM diagnoses are comorbid with one another. And if you have too much comorbidity, the question that arises is, are the categories that we've constructed really distinct from one another? And Hightop thinks that comorbidity should be embraced more than rejected in, in the sense that they say, yes, these DSM categories cluster together. And what we can do is we can group each of them under these broader spectra. And so the high top system comes up with six spectra dimensions that it uses. And then um, it says the disorders would reside under there. And and ultimately it feels that DSM disorders might be discardable, but for the time being it keeps them, but it says they're really these comorbid overlapping categories underneath these higher level six distinct spectra. And they see this as a simpler approach because you can divide people's problems into how they score along these six different spectra dimensions. Um, It's still very early going. The high top is brand new. Uh, I think it has a lot in common with like the big five personality research works. 
Um, so if you like those, you'll like high top. If you don't like those, you might not be a fan of high top. Um, so that's the high top system. Let me talk a little bit about RDoC, right? RDoC is the research domain criteria system. It's a research initiative at the moment. It's not a diagnostic system yet. Uh, they're trying to build a diagnostic system from the ground up. And they're doing that by trying to identify the ways that the brain is designed to function. And then, and only then, will they identify ways that it malfunctions. And so the categories that they create will be based on their identifying and diagnosing these specific malfunctions. And in a way, they say, we're doing this in the right order, whereas DSM does it backwards. DSM starts with categories, and then researchers race around trying to find out what are the biological correlates of those categories. RDoc says, well, let's understand the brain and how it works, and then build categories based on observable differences between healthy and unhealthy brains. So it's still a very medical model kind of approach, and if you like that, you'll like RDoc. If you don't like that, you won't. But what's really fascinating about it is this idea that it wants to build the system from the ground up. And the other thing is that it is not yet a diagnostic system. It's a research initiative. We don't have the ability to identify uh, any kind of presenting problems based exclusively on these kind of biological uh, biomarkers just yet. Then there's the power threat meaning framework, which is going 180 degrees in the other direction. Uh, PTM shifts the focus. It moves away from the medical model. It actually doesn't consider itself a diagnostic system. It rejects the idea of medical model diagnostic systems. It says that we need to depathologize people's problems by focusing on what the PTM identifies as the actual causes. It says that economic and social injustices are the root causes of emotional distress. And so the, the origins of distress lie outside the person, not inside the person. Uh, RDoc as inside the person. And I think the DSM in many respects implies that it's inside the person. So PTM emphasizes what has happened to people on a sociocultural level and then how they've responded to it. So it's a totally different approach. It's a non-diagnostic approach. Um, one other approach that you didn't mention in your list uh, is the psychodynamic diagnostic manual. And the psychodynamic diagnostic manual, or PDM, is also been gaining a lot of attention. And it's, from its name you can tell, an explicitly psychodynamic diagnostic manual that diagnoses problems through the lens of psychodynamic theory. So whereas the DSM has traditionally been atheoretical, that is, it's a descriptive diagnostic manual. It describes problems, but it doesn't take a stance on what causes them. The PDM it roots its approach explicitly in psychodynamic theory. And so that's another approach. And they're all really interesting in their own way. The question is whether or not they'll catch on. And so in speaking to you previously, you don't think the system that you recommend um, our society switching to. Um, is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I view diagnostic systems as tools. And so I like hammers. They're really helpful instruments. However, depending on the task I'm up to, I might be better off with a wrench or a pair of pliers or some other tool instead. And so I find it helpful to use the tools metaphor when considering diagnostic systems. One might find a given diagnostic system useful or not, depending on the situation. Of course, it's always important to remember that diagnostic systems provide maps that can guide us, but we have to be careful not to mistake the map for the territory. And so I think the biggest barrier to developing viable alternatives to the DSM and the ICD is that these approaches 
cross-theoretical perspectives by being mainly descriptive. But when it comes to how a diagnostic system informs treatment, descriptive approaches in many ways are lacking. That is, they don't take any stance on how to best approach the problems they identify or describe. So their nondescript nature makes DSM and ICD easy for everyone to adopt regardless of their theoretical viewpoint. But any theoretically driven system, things like the PDM or the Power Threat Meaning Framework or RDoC even, those systems in many ways might struggle to gain mass acceptance because their theoretical commitments will turn off some people. Somebody who doesn't like a medical model brain approach won't use RDoC. Somebody who's really opposed to psychodynamic theories or just not interested in them won't use PDM. Somebody who doesn't take um, a social justice orientation to problems might not like PTM. So by being theoretically well-developed and informative about how to conceptualize and approach client problems, these alternative diagnostic systems ironically make themselves less broadly appealing. And so that can be a challenge for them. But if they're tools, you don't have to stick with just one. You could jump around from one system to the next, depending on what you're up to that day. Right. So a multi-system approach that you're talking about. Um, so what about insurance companies? What do you think an alternative to the DSM system that could be used for insurance purposes um, and would be based on alternative principles? Yeah. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been suggested by a lot of people that uh, a very practical thing we could do is use the DSM-5 V-codes because that might let us identify presenting problems in a less medicalizing and stigmatizing kind of manner. And practically, those codes already exist, but we would need insurers to cover them for clinicians to begin using them. I think one of the reasons they don't get used is that insurance companies don't cover V-code diagnoses. Beyond that, um, I'm not sure because, as I was describing a minute ago, I think theoretically coherent systems might prove to be more helpful to clinicians in a practical everyday manner, but they're less likely to be appreciated and used across clinicians of different theoretical orientations. So that's the challenge, being theoretically kind of consistent and pure and, and developing something that a, a, a smaller group of people might like to use and, and having something that would cut across all theoretical orientations and be more descriptive, but potentially less clinically useful but would help grease the wheels of insurance. So can you talk um, more about the importance of including service users and people with lived experiences in the development of any future alternatives? Sure. I think it's very important to listen to service users because they're the ones impacted by whatever diagnostic system we develop and use. So we really need their feedback, especially if we want to avoid inadvertently harming them. Perfect. And what do you think um, diagnosis should, how do you think they should be approached in therapy? How do you recommend clinicians approach these topics with people who come to see them? What have you seen? So I think we often draw sort of an artificial line between diagnosis and treatment. And George Kelly was the psychologist who developed personal construct theory. And he used to say that therapists have to continually revise their understandings of clients because clients are always in process and forever changing. And that's why Kelly used the term transitive diagnosis. He said diagnosis, diagnoses could be transitive because they are continually evolving. So given that, regardless of the diagnostic approach that a therapist takes, it seems to me very important for the therapist to not reify the diagnosis made because I think doing so locks the client in place in a way that can be highly limiting. And that would be true across different diagnostic systems for me. Whichever system somebody's adopting, you have to be careful not to 
be too literal or reifying about that system. And so to me, thinking of diagnoses as meaningful constructions, as created understandings that might for the time being inform what we're doing is terrific. But when we shift to seeing them as essential, unchangeable things, we can lock ourselves in and we can actually also unintentionally harm the people we're working with. So more of a living system, a multi-system. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, as Kelly said, you have to keep up with your clients. And so they're always in process and you better keep up with them because if you're still using last week's uh, conceptualization and understanding, well, they may have moved on. Yeah. I love that. You're working with a person, not just a diagnosis. Right. Okay. So that's um, all that I had for us today. Is there anything else that you wanted to add or talk to us about before we wrap up? No, I mean, just that I think this is a, a growing area uh, that people are expressing interest in. My, my sense is that um, a lot of clinicians don't really know much about different alternatives beyond the DSM and the ICD. And so one of the things that I've been interested in in recent times is just helping the field uh, have more knowledge, to helping the clinicians out in the field become aware of approaches that they may not know much about. Uh, because my sense is that clinicians are hungry for alternatives, but they don't necessarily know what the alternatives are. And then at the same time, they also feel trapped in the sense that in order for them to get paid, they need to use the DSM. But it doesn't mean even if the issues of reimbursement haven't been resolved for other systems, it doesn't mean that they can't learn about and begin using these other systems in addition to. Right? It doesn't have to be an either or. And so I've just seen my goal in recent times be to learn more about these diagnostic alternatives myself and then to help others out in the field learn about them as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really great. Um, just talking about all of them, just getting the information, even if we don't necessarily prescribe to them or use them. Yeah, having an open discussion and dialogue about them is important. And I think people are very quick to make judgments about which approaches they like or dislike. Um, but I think... If you want to develop alternatives, you have to be open-minded and, and be willing to talk with people who might be developing alternatives that are very different from what you yourself might develop. And appreciate that each alternative may have uh, advantages to it, as well as disadvantages. Well, I'm excited to see these um, theories evolve and to see how the field continues this conversation, and I'm glad that you're a part of that. Um, your textbook compares, or doesn't compare, but it just lays out the alternatives. Yeah, I, one of the things that I was very excited to do in the book was to present alternative perspectives across both diagnosis and treatment interventions. And so in the diagnosis chapter, I talk about RDOC, I talk about HITOP, I talk about the PTM framework, uh, because I think it's important for students in the field to learn about these approaches. And so if we want to disseminate information about them, we have to cover them in the places where students are learning about them. And I also spend a lot of time on DSM and ICD because those are obviously the important, um, most influential approaches today. So all of them get covered and they get covered as perspectives. And so each one has a, a diagnostic perspective that a person might adopt depending on what the uh, goal is in the given moment. Well, I have to say, I really appreciate you doing this work. I appreciate your perspectives. I appreciate you coming on today and sharing this information with our readers. 
um, I do agree with you. I think it's so important just to get this information out to people all these different perspectives. So much for talking to us, and I look forward to hearing more about your work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit maddenamerica.com for more news, views, and updates.